Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosek. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome for the first time to Viewpoints, Nicole Dyson, who's the founder and CEO of Future Anything. Now, Nicole's a globally recognised expert and practitioner in project-based learning and student entrepreneurship and is the founder of Future Anything, an award-winning curriculum-aligned entrepreneurship program for high school students. There's many other uh, accolades that Nicole has received. Uh, we want to have a chat with her rather than go through her lengthy list, which is lengthy. So on that note, welcome to Viewpoints, Nicole Dyson. And um, I was taken by a story. We all we all go through these these moments, watershed moments in our lives, where there's uh, a shift. And uh, a number of years ago, I was teaching an all boys year nine English class, and I was interrupted by a student who said, "By the way, I think every teacher's experienced this, and I can remember saying this at high school." Uh, words to this effect, Nicole. I don't mean to be rude, Miss, but why are we doing this? That was an important moment, wasn't it? Um, I think we've all had that moment at the front of the room where we've been questioning the content as mm. we've been delivering it. So it's certainly not a, a unique perspective, I think, for students. But at this particular moment in time, I was working with a, a, a class of all boys. Um, they were year nine. My head of department at the time told me it would be um, a good experience to work with this <laughs> we've class. We've all heard which, that too. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is code for, right, nobody else wants to teach the class. We know, that, we know what this is. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were just a group of young people that had um, really disconnected, I guess, from the classroom experience. They, Whilst they were in year nine, they had a reading age of, of maybe grade four or grade five. And the particular task that we were being asked to dig into was a novel study and the students were having to write an analytical essay at the end. And I just remember thinking, my gosh, uh, these young people um, struggle to say analytical essay and spell it, let alone write the essay out. And um, they were such um, kinesthetic learners that the whole concept of getting them through a novel, which was based around a female protagonist and asking Mm. them to form an analytical essay off the back of one of the themes, just was so far removed from their own life experience and where they were going. And so whilst it wasn't the first time I'd heard the question, I can genuinely say it was probably the first time that I listened. Um, and I remember saying to the young person after pausing for a second, um, because we have to, and I'm sorry. And uh, that was a real catalyst moment for me in looking at what, what did we have to? Like in that moment, did I have to deliver the content as it was? And so I started to look at um, how we could actually change the curriculum that we were delivering in the classroom so that it still met the objectives that we needed to, but that the relevance was there for young people. They could see that link from learning to the real world. And I think if, I think if we can create that connection, that why is answered for the student who's sitting in that classroom. Mm. I think we all get confronted with the situation that uh, that you just expressed, Nicole, but uh, for a lot of reasons, perhaps the vast majority of us don't do what you did next. We take a deep breath, bury our heads and continue in the content. Uh, why different for you? I think perhaps I've always questioned, I think, things around me. So there has always been that element of, questioning what's going on around me and how I can maybe 
reflect on the situation that I'm in and look for better ways to do it. I think one of my pet hates is when people say, um, you know, it's, it's the way we've always done things. Mm. And there's almost this acceptance of the status quo because it's easier to do what we've always done rather than potentially look at a different way. Um, and look, if I'm being selfish, I think they're my own, I think we find moments in the classroom where we're disengaged, both as learners mm. and deliverers. And so I was looking for an opportunity to potentially um, create greater engagement for myself in the classroom, just as much as I was looking for that solution for students. So uh, in project-based learning is not a new pedagogy. And I think it's such a curious thing to speak on um, because we still have this dichotomy where, where educators feel like it's either explicit teaching or project-based learning rather than realising that the best classroom is kind of using pedagogy for purpose um, with the learners that are in the room. But I really started, I guess, doubling down on how we can use that inquiry model to almost crack open the curriculum, using it as a provocation for students then to explore their own solutions um, to the problems that they encountered through the curriculum that we were offering. Um, and through that process, kind of fell into entrepreneurship being a vehicle, I think, for students to identify problems that matter to them and then potentially do something about those problems by pitching their own innovative ideas that not only make their world a better place, but potentially could generate revenue and opportunity for themselves as well. So how hard was it to get from that stage to where you are now? Because clearly a lot of water's passed under the bridge. And I, <laughs> I suspect, and we've chatted about this off air a few moments ago, um, big education systems are probably like most big organisations, they can be rather conservative. Yes, they definitely can. Look, I think one of the greatest barriers we have within our system at the moment is this um, certain belief that educators can write and deliver engaging curriculum without professional learning and without time being provided. So our school leadership teams have this expectation that our grads walk out of these four-year university degrees and suddenly know how to create progressive, interesting, engaging, uh, curriculum-aligned pieces of curriculum mm. and then have the capacity and the time to not only deliver that content but also continually update that content. Um, and so I think one of the greatest barriers that I needed to move through in building Future Anything was um, sitting down with leadership teams and explaining that what we could offer would allow their teams to focus on what was really important, which was differentiating the learning for the learners, because that's the secret source of teaching, is when an educator has the space and the support to be able to create contextually relevant learning opportunities for the young people that are sitting in front of them at that moment in time. Um, and if they're building curriculum and finding real-world connections and trying to create competitions or experiences for students um, and responding to inboxes and doing all of these other elements as well, I think we dilute um, the impact that our educators can have in the classroom working with young people. So it was probably that mindset, I think, that still permeates within our system is this ex expectation that our teachers can do everything. And the reality is that, you know, what we're seeing in this exodus from mm. the profession is that that they can't. And so the challenge for leadership teams is to choose what's most important to us. What can we alleviate from our teachers in order to create space and support for our teachers to do what they do best, um, which is create, you know, really wonderful uh, learning experiences for our young people where they feel seen um, and they also feel heard. Um, so that was probably the challenge is this, this notion that, well, we don't need to 
we don't need to engage a provider to support us with curriculum because our teachers know how to do this. And I think it's been an interesting um, journey to work with leadership teams to see how the provision of external providers um, can actually almost enable their teaching teams to perform better um, than they had before. So that was certainly a barrier. Uh, I think the other element is I'm a bit of a data nerd. So aside from working with leadership teams for them to understand the why um, of a program like Future Anything, I, I think the second element that we really focused on was collecting the evidence of impact to ensure that the hypotheses that I had about why the program is worthwhile could be measured. Um, and so part of what we do is we pre-test our teachers and also our students across their confidence in six key enterprise skills or depending on, um, you know, 21st century skills or um, general capabilities, however you want to name them today. Um, and then we post-test um, our students and our teachers across those six skills in order to see the measurable change, I guess, in their capability um, across those particular skills. So, you know, rather than talk about participation numbers in a program, um, as an organisation that's founded by educators and, and led by an educator, um, we're very keen to, to look at that measurable impact within the classroom and also within a school culture as we kind of move the needle up um, so that young people are, you know, enterprising thinkers and enterprising doers. Great point there, Nicole. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'd love to look at some of the actual work you do. I think we've set the scene pretty well there. Around, like, can you hold the line? Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. In the middle of a discussion with Nicole Dyson, the founder and CEO of Future Anything, on well, how her career has led her to this uh, wonderful entrepreneurship uh, approach to learning in our secondary students. Welcome back, Nicole. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Uh, great pleasure. It's always look. I love having people on my program. You know that add that, and particularly in my own field of education, excitement and uh, and, and 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 interest, and and you got bucket loads of that. Future anything? So okay, um, what do you deliver? <laughs> what a great question. Um, well, I think maybe the best way to explain it is uh, initially the program came about um, when I was delivering uh, like a year nine English curriculum and the original unit of work was students were looking at Indigenous representations in text and then from there the students were to deliver a monologue. Um, as an educator, I kind of thought there was more opportunity within that piece of curriculum. So what I did was kind of reroute the journey. We still looked at the Indigenous representations within different texts, um, but we used that as a catalyst for young people to look at marginalised voices. Um, and certainly from there, we, we actually looked at who were the marginalised voices within our own local community. Um, and rather have the students, rather than have the students just give me this speech back about the marginalised voice, I tasked the students with coming up with a social enterprise solution that actually closed the gap. Um, for a marginalised group of choice. So they used um, all of the, the rich, um, you know, information that we went through in the curriculum and actually then sort of put a design thinking methodology or an entrepreneur's journey over the top of that for students to pitch their own solutions. Um, essentially, that's the base of our Activate program across the course of 10 weeks. 
um, students look at a problem through a curriculum provocation. And then by the end of the 10 weeks in the program, they're pitching their own innovative, um, scalable and sustainable business ideas that not only make the world a better place, but hopefully generate um, some revenue and opportunity for the young people as well. And we've sort of scaled from, you know, 100 students in one school um, through to this year we're working with sort of 5,000 students across 50 schools, including piloting the program with a number of international schools at the moment as well. Why do you think it's so popular, apart from the fact that obviously you do it well? I like. I hope we do it well. Um, look, I think there's a couple of reasons. that Future Anything exists because of some pain points that I felt as a classroom teacher. The first one was that I just didn't have the time to build the curriculum that I wanted to deliver in the classroom. The second one was that I knew that young people benefited from uh, having connections to the real world, but I didn't know how to build that community within my local ecosystem. And the third challenge that I faced as a teacher was, so you build these great project-based learning units, but what do the students do with those ideas at the end of that 10-week journey mm. when, as an educator, I kind of need to move on to the next curriculum point? So the, our Activate program kind of solved those three problems for the classroom teacher that I was in the sense that we build the fully resourced, you know, 20 to 30-hour curriculum for teachers to access. Um, we provide professional learning for all the teachers so that they can understand how to build an enterprising mindset with their students. And then we have this um, national competition at the end of the program where young people can pitch for the funding and support to launch their business out of the classroom and into the real world. So I like to think that hopefully what we do makes teachers' lives easier and their load lighter. That's a good point because on that teacher workload, and you did talk about it earlier, Nicole, we've got a real problem at the moment across the nation. I don't just think in Australia. Um, people don't really, they're not, they're not flocking to the profession. In fact, to some extent, they're leaving the profession. Um, you'd consider this is one of the reasons. They all talk about workload and recognition, I guess, and uh, some of it might even be in a rut yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that, you know, where there were some unintended positive outcomes from the program we built. Last year, we launched um, for the first year these educator awards for the teachers mm. within our program. So uh, we have a Trailblazer of the Year Award um, for a first-year teacher of the program, and then we have an Educator of the Year Award um, for our experienced teachers who've delivered the program, you know, in successive years. And um, when we awarded these teachers at the end of last year, um, two of the recipients got quite emotional when they accepted their awards and both spoke to the fact that um, this program had given them renewed energy, uh, re renewed energy in the classroom um, and also, I think, in, in their profession. And so I think we really have to reflect back on how we can, um, whether we're in the system or we're standing outside of the system, how we can create spaces for teachers to feel that sense of achievement in their profession and also spaces for them to feel that energy around their profession as well. I think these are critical elements that, you know, potentially providers like us can support school leadership teams um, to do. That's a good point. Now, one of the other parts, and as a school principal and leader, it's of importance to me. One of the great challenges uh, uh, as a school principal is getting that balance between manage and lead. And we're always being exhorted to lead and yet most principals get caught up in 90% of their work or 95% of their work just managing to get through. Your advice and in, in your work towards uh, leaders being 
leaders, not managers? Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, I think we only have the opportunity to lead when we have the space and the time to reflect. Um, I think we default to managing um, when we're feeling overwhelmed and potentially when we have a little bit too much on our plate. So I know in myself that I only find um, the capacity to lead in my own organisation when I've got the right systems and processes set up that can um, run maybe some of those like logistics that um, that don't require that high level thinking. And then it's actually carving out really deliberate space and time to reflect on, you know, where we're at and where we're going, that then enables me to lead more effectively. Um, so, I mean, as a, as a company, we've invested a lot of time in what our timetable looks like. And, and this is a limitation when you're working within schools, but looking at which days are meeting free days, um, how we structure our um, line management, or we call them like work in progress meetings, um, what we, I have Fridays as a strategy day um, where I'm actually involved in that higher level thinking about the organisation and where we're going, um, engaging in collective um, professional development, whether that's um, through reading or also podcasts or engaging with speakers and conferences that kind of um, get the creative juices flowing, I mm-hmm. guess, on the potential and possibility that might exist. But I think the critical layer between to go from managing to leading is um, space to reflect um, and then also having really strong systems and processes. Good point. Nicole, time's got away from us and there's so much more we could talk about and we'd love to have you back on Viewpoints another time because I think uh, I think there's a great need for what, you do, what you, your company offers and things like adaptability quotients, etc. and your catapult cards, youth X. So there's so many areas. We've got so much to give. You've already given it. We'd love to have you back sometime in the future. I would love to come back. And if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, probably easiest. Uh, feel free to connect on LinkedIn. That's always a great place to start the conversation. Um, otherwise, our website, futureanything.com, has kind of got a fair bit of content about what we do and, um, and potentially how we could support schools and school leadership teams. Fabulous. Nicole, that was uh, was uh, inspiring, which is something we don't get enough of in our profession at times. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. Well, thank you, Nicole. That was Nicole Dyson, founder and CEO, Future Anything, uh, an organisation that uh, challenges, I'd say, a lot of what uh, we would say is conventional teaching uh, with our with our students, who are the leaders and the innovators of the future. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts.